0: Hey, my name is Phil and this is my wife Meredith and we are the pastors here at Cornerstone Church. We're so glad that you have connected with us here today and that you're getting ready to listen to a message that we know is going to build a resilient faith in your life. Right now in this moment and in our days ahead, let's continue declaring Jesus over every situation. Enjoy the message. I'm so glad that you are here today joining together as we as we worship together, as we lean into scripture, as we find out more about God, it's gonna be a great time together. If we haven't met yet, my name is Phil, and my wife and I are the pastors here at Cornerstone. We're so glad that you are here. If you're brand new, we wanna say welcome to you. We, uh, it is our heart that you would encounter the living God today, that you wouldn't just see me, but that you would see God flowing through me. That is uh, my heart here today, and we believe that God can do it. We believe that God didn't just create things thousands of years ago and take His hands off, but we believe that God created and He keeps His hands involved because He loves us and His Holy Spirit empowers us and that He's available to us to strengthen us. And so that is my heart today, is that you would see God uh, and that we would encounter Him in this place in the same way that we have encountered Him in worship. It doesn't take long to get to know me to realize that my love language is food. I know that there's five different love languages that you might have read about, and I know that you wouldn't find food listed as one of those love languages, but I think that the authors missed one of them when they put that book together about love languages because my love language is food. I love food, y'all. I love experiencing food. I don't like, don't get me wrong, I don't like making food. I don't like giving food. I like receiving food. I like consuming food. I like engaging in food. I like all kinds of food as well. I don't discriminate when it comes to food. I like food that is new. I like food that is local. I I like food that is foreign. I like old food, like food that I grew up with. I like food that I haven't encountered before. I like all kinds of food. I believe that God loves food as well. God created us with 10,000 taste buds, and He didn't have to do it. But He did it because He wants us to experience food. He did it because He wants us to encounter food. He did it because He wants us to enjoy food. And so He created us with all of these different taste buds to be able to enjoy food. Food didn't have to taste different. I don't know if you think about that. Food didn't have to taste different. It didn't have to be enjoyed, but God is such a good God that He created food for us to enjoy. And before we go any further, Uh, I wanna do something that we haven't done before, which is that I wanna encourage you to pull out your phone right where you're at, pull out your phone, And uh, you should have just received a push notification to your phone that's gonna ask you a question. This is only true if you have downloaded the Cornerstone app. So if you didn't just get a push notification to your phone, then you're telling on yourself. But you can go ahead and download the Cornerstone app right now, and you should have just received a push notification whether you're in the room or whether you're joining online if you've got your notifications turned on. And this is gonna ask you a question about how many times on average per week you sit around a table with friends and with family, with people in your life? How many times per week? You can answer the question right there and I want you to answer it truthfully. I don't want you to lie in this, this is anonymous, but that shouldn't change how truthful you're being in your responses anyway. You can answer the question about how many times per week, on average, you join together. And if you didn't get a push notification and you're in the Cornerstone app, on the top right-hand corner, you can click the little person icon and you can see the notifications there and you can answer that question for yourself. How many times, on average, per week, you sit around a table with friends and with family. And you can see on the screen right there the responses that are coming in. About 20% of people, and these numbers are changing right now, but about 20% of people have said that zero times per week, you sit around a table with friends and with family. About 20, what is that, 25% of people, one to two times per week, About 30% of people say three to five times per week, and about 24% of people say more than five times you sit around a table with friends and with family. I like all different types of food, but the food that I enjoy the most is food that is enjoyed sitting around a table with people. There's something special about that type of food. It's better than fast food that you get as you're driving through on your destination to go somewhere. It's better than food that you get in the middle of the night when you've got some craving, like a bowl of cereal or something like that. It's better than that. But food that you enjoy as you gather around a table just tastes better, doesn't it? Food that you get to enjoy around enriching conversation. There's something special that's in that. And so today, we're gonna be talking about Jesus Habits, which are all about enjoying company, hospitality, being in community together. And we've been in this series for a few weeks now. We've been talking about if Jesus did it, then we should probably do it too. These are the Jesus habits. We learn about this in 1 Corinthians 1 and 11. Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. If Jesus said that we should do it, then we should do it. If Jesus was in the regular habit of doing it, then we should do it as well. And Jesus was in the regular habit of eating. And so today we're gonna be talking about community and hospitality and tables and feasting and all of those types of things. And I get excited about this topic because this is essentially why I am a pastor. I love preaching, and I love engaging in these moments, but in reality, I love community. I'm a pastor because I want to go to heaven, and I want everyone to go to heaven with me. I don't want to go to heaven by myself, and so my wife and I are pastors because we want to get as many people as possible to go to heaven with us, and so we love telling people about Jesus. We love walking people into salvation. We love sitting around our table together, talking about Jesus, studying Jesus, finding out about how we can encounter Jesus more and more and more more and that's why I'm a pastor and I get excited about this because I want to be in community with you and I want to find out about how we can look more and more like Jesus. So the scripture that we have for today is Luke chapter 5 starting in verse 27 and it reads like this. It says, after this Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi. He's also known as Matthew, sitting at his tax booth or at his tax table. "'Follow me,' Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors—those are his colleagues or his work friends—and others were eating with him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, "'Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners?' The Pharisees were an uptight group of people. This religious sect were always complaining about everything that Jesus did. It seems like no matter what Jesus did, they were upset about, and no matter who He spent time with, they were upset about it, so much so that they called Him a glutton and a drunk. I don't know how many times you have to eat in a day to be called a glutton, but I eat like seven meals a day and no one has ever called me a glutton to my face. They might do it in other ways, but I have never been called a glutton before. So I don't know how many times Jesus is sitting down to enjoy meals, but the Pharisees called him a glutton and a drunk because he spent so much time sitting down and enjoying meals and being in community and being in relationship. But there's so much in this scripture. Essentially, I love the way that Jesus goes after people because this is literal in the way that Jesus sits down and enjoys meals with people. This is not just theory. Jesus actually sat down and enjoyed meals with people. And I was thinking, Meredith, about a message that you preached last year about how we sit down and enjoy meals together and the significance of feasting in scripture. And one of the things that you talked about is how I am not fully self-sustained in myself and you're not fully self-sustained within yourself. The very fact that we have to eat food represents the fact that I am not sustained, that I have needs outside of me, that I need to eat food, and you need to eat food, and so if I need to eat food and you need to eat food, then we might as well sit down and eat food together because it's one of the things that brings us together. It's one of the things that we all have in common is that we all need to eat, and if we all need to eat, then we might as well find time to do it Together, it's what unites us, it's part of what brings us together, and isolation is the result of what Adam and Eve did in the garden in Genesis chapter three. Isolation is what happens as a result of separation with God, it's it's what happens as a result of separation with each other. And I don't know about you, but some of the craziest, weirdest people that I have ever met spend far too much time with themselves. Would you agree? Some of the weirdest people that you'll ever meet spend far too much time in their basement, far too much time in their mama's basement, far too much time by themselves. And if you spend too much time by yourselves, I encourage you to get around some other people because community brings perspective. And so the first thing that Jesus does when he enters into public ministry, aside from going and spending time in the wilderness with God and and praying and fasting, the first thing that he does after that is to gather around people and to gather people around him. If he knows that his public ministry is going to bring a heightened attack from the enemy on him, then it's smart for him to surround himself with people. And so right from the very start of his public ministry, all the way through his public ministry, up until the very end, Jesus surrounds himself with people. Even up until the night before he gives up his life, he sits around a table with his disciples and he says, I'm getting ready to die tomorrow. And he doesn't give them a theory. He doesn't give them a lesson. He doesn't give them instructions. Jesus gives them a meal. He sits down around a table. We know this as the last supper and he enjoys communion with them. And this is something that we're getting ready to do at the end of service together. We're gonna enjoy communion together. But Jesus sat around a table as the last thing that he did with his disciples together on the night before he died. And a table is also where Jesus encounters Levi, the tax collector. We just read this in the scripture that we read together. A table is where he first sees Levi or Matthew. Levi is sitting at his tax table. And it's important to remember what a tax collector actually was. Because a tax collector, we don't really have them today. A tax collector is not really like an IRS agent that is paid by the government to take your tax. If you remember, Israel was occupied by Rome at that time. And so a tax collector were were Jewish people who sold out being Jewish to collect taxes for Rome. These were traitors of Jewish people. These were people who were reviled by their own community. These were people who were hated by their own community because they didn't actually receive a salary for being a tax collector. What happened was that they were required to take a certain amount of tax and then they were allowed by the Roman law to take a little bit extra for themselves. So they didn't just take tax, they were also corrupt and they took more than what they needed to take so that they could have a little bit extra for themselves. And tax collectors were not viewed in a good light by the Jewish community. And Jesus sees Levi at a tax table. And that's where we first encounter Levi. He meets him at his tax table, literally sitting in his sin, literally sitting in corruption and greed, surrounded by his shame, and he tells Levi to follow him. He tells him to leave and follow me. And this is significant because if Levi was a fisherman, he would have had the ability to leave being a fisherman. And if things didn't work out, then he could have returned to being a fisherman. But he wouldn't have been able to do that if he was a tax collector. When Levi left being a tax collector, he essentially was leaving for the rest of his life. And this is significant, because if Levi is anything like the rest of us humans, then we struggle with commitment. Most of us would have been like, well, I've, I've got a pretty good life right here. I'm pretty wealthy in how I do it. I've got everything that I need right now in terms of material finances, and I don't really want to leave this thing. Maybe I'll just leave, like, I'll follow Jesus with one foot, and then I'll keep the other foot being a tax collector, and I don't exactly want to commit one way or the other because we struggle with commitment, right? But Levi had to fully leave one thing before he could step into the other thing. Sometimes if someone asks you to a party or to do something, to hang out on a Friday night, we don't like to fully commit to that activity. We'll be like, um, yeah, that sounds good, I'll get back to you, like maybe I'll pencil you in or pencil me in or like, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll do that maybe or like you try and use your kids as an excuse for why you might not actually do that or let me check with my wife and I'll get back to you. I'm not sure if we're actually gonna do that, right? Because we don't like to fully commit to things. Some of you are single because you don't like committing to things. I have conversations with different ones that are here in this room that I have seen your face today, and I know that the reason that you're single is because you don't want to commit to someone, because you have told me if I say yes to this person, then I have to say no to everybody else. Yes, that is what commitment is. When I said yes to Meredith, I said no to everybody else. I said no to everybody else in this room, everybody else that's joining online right now. I said no to everybody because I said yes to Meredith. That's what commitment is. But too often we don't like saying no to one thing and yes to another thing because we wanna keep our options open, right? Just like Levi would have wanted to keep his options open, but he said no to being a tax collector so that he could fully follow Jesus. And it's significant that Jesus finds him at a tax table and calls him into something else. He calls him from the tax table into something else. And we don't know why he did it, but the very first thing that Matthew did, the very first thing that Levi did was to call for a feast. He calls for a party with everybody that he knows. It specifically says that tax collectors joined around him because he probably didn't have any friends. Remember, tax collectors were not really enjoyed in their company by other Jewish people. And so he called everybody that he knew, probably just the tax collectors that he surrounded himself with. And he said, hey, I need to tell you about this guy called Jesus, and I want to have a big party around a table. And Jesus calls him from a tax table to a feasting table. Jesus calls him from a place of pain to a place of celebration, from a place of loneliness to a place of community. And Jesus does that for us all the time. Jesus will call you from a place of brokenness to a place of healing. Jesus will call you from a place of pain to a place of restoration. Jesus will call you from a place over here to a place over here. Jesus is in the business of restoration. Jesus is in the business of transformation. And Jesus called Levi from a place of the table of tax to a place of the table of feasting. And sharing tables is significant. Sharing tables is one of the most uniquely human things that we can do. If you think about it, there are no other creatures on the face of the earth that sit around a table to enjoy meals together. Lions don't do it. Penguins don't do it. Marsupials don't do it. Birds don't do it. Right, No other animal sits around a table to enjoy a meal. This is something that is significant and unique to only humans, only humans sit around tables and enjoy community together because it reminds us that, food, that fellowship is more significant than food. That lunch is not really about the food that we consume, it's about the people that we enjoy it with. It's about community, it's about fellowship. It's about being together with one another in an opportunity to create relationships, in an opportunity to grow relationships. And I think sometimes about how if we would be more effective instead of just inviting people to church, if we would be more effective instead to invite people to sit around a table with us. Like before we invited them to church, if we invited them to sit around a table with us. Because I've been in church for a real long time, and I am sure that there are some things that we do in our church service that are kind of weird to someone who just came in from the street, right? Someone who has never experienced a church service before is gonna be like everyone just stands up without anybody saying anything, and you all look at a screen and you all sing songs together. Isn't that kind of weird? But I've grown up in church, so I don't know if it's weird or not. Maybe it is weird, I don't know. But if someone just came in off the street, I am sure that if someone just came into church for the very first time and you just received a little container that said that this is a piece of bread that represents the body of Jesus, and you eat it, and a little piece of grape juice, and you drink it, and that's the blood of Jesus, and that's what Christians do. That's weird, y'all. I have grown up in church, and I still think that that's weird, but God tells us to do it, and so we do it, and that's how we remember the sacrifice that he made for us. But sometimes I think that we would be more effective if instead of just inviting people to church, we invited them to sit around a table with us, people that we like, people that we don't like, people that look like us, people that don't look like us, people that are kind and—because it's easy to invite people to sit around a table that are warm and kind and professional and funny and have their life together. It's easy to invite people like that around a table with you. But Scripture talks so clearly about how we should be enjoying people that we love and people that love us and our enemies. When was the last time that you invited your enemy to sit around a table with you, someone that was spreading rumors about you? When was the last time that you invited one of those people to sit around a table with you? Has it been a while? Have you ever done it? This is your challenge to do it. Scripture is so clear that we should be inviting all kinds of people to sit around a table with us, not just people that we like, but all kinds of people. And I know that this is true because Jesus didn't just do it with Levi, the tax collector. He did it with multiple people. He does it again in another story in Luke chapter 19 in verse 1. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus, and he was a chief." a tax collector, and he was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was a wee little man, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree so that he could see him since Jesus was coming that way. And when Jesus reached the spot, Jesus looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. Aren't you thankful for a God that sees you? Aren't you thankful for a God that stops and looks in your direction? For a God, even though you think that you might not be able to be seen, a God that looks in your direction and a God that sees you, he says to Zacchaeus, I must stay at your house today. He says, I must stay. Not, I would like to stay. He says, I must stay at your house today. He doesn't say, I think that we should go to the temple together and pray. He doesn't say, I would like to pray for you because you're obviously a wee little man, and I know that you want to be taller, and so I should pray for you that you would experience some growth spurt at some stage in your life. He doesn't say any of that. He says, I must stay at your house today. Somebody say, must stay must stay at your house today. He said, in order for you to be reached with the gospel, I must first see you, and then I must sit down and enjoy a meal with you. And that's significant, because we don't know a lot more about Zacchaeus, but what we do know about him is that not just he was saved. Jesus says this in verse, uh, in verse 9. It says, today salvation has come to this house because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. Salvation didn't just come to his house. We also know through tradition that Zacchaeus went on to become the bishop of Caesarea in the early church. And this only happened because Jesus stopped and looked at him and saw him and sat around a table with him. And that's significant because he's the son of God and he looked in his direction. It's also interesting to me that Jesus says, this man too is a son of Abraham, that he mentions Abraham here. And I know that Abraham was the father of their faith, and so it spoke to the idea of coming together as family. But also, in addition to that, we know about Abraham that he was someone who demonstrated great hospitality. If you think back to the story back in Genesis chapter 18, Abraham is chilling in his tent with his wife, Sarah, and they are both old. And then three strangers arrive at their tent. He doesn't know who these people are. He's never seen them before. He has no idea who these people are. And immediately he gets up and he starts serving these people. It says like 10 times in this chapter that Abraham hurried around to get service for them. He hurried to get water. He hurried to get his wife. He hurried to get some meat. He hurried all over the place because your hospitality often is tied to your reputation. And so Abraham wanted to have a good reputation, and so he hurried around to ensure that these people would have great service. Now, no one likes to be hungry and uh, patient at the same time. Matter of fact, there are very few people in life that can actually be hungry and patient at the same time. It seems like the hungrier that you get, the less patient that you get. Right, is, is this true for you as well? I know that it's true for myself and everybody that's in my house, is that the hungrier that you get, the more impatient that you get, the, the less patience that you actually have. This is true for just about everybody. And um, some time ago, I was going to a fast food restaurant, this is like three or four months ago, and I'm concerned about the state of fast food in this nation, y'all. Like, not about the quality of the food, because everyone's always known that it's been rubbish for a long, long time. <laughs> Like, except for Chick-fil-A, I'm concerned about the state of fast food in this nation because it's barely fast food, and it's barely food, really, in the first place, but it's not even really that fast anymore. And so I went with Meredith to a fast food restaurant, and we pulled up, and we ordered our food, and then we come around to the window where we collect the food, and then the very worst thing that could possibly happen that everyone always hopes never happens to them happened to us, and they said, we don't have your food ready, can you please pull forward into the parking lot? And I was already hungry, and I was therefore also already impatient. And when they tell that to you, you just feel like you want to scream a little bit. And you're like, how hard is it to do? You do this thousands of times per day. And so you pull forward. And then you start waiting. And then the next worst thing happens is that the car directly behind me gets told to pull forward into the parking lot as well. And now we're looking across at each other like, I don't know, man, I don't know why I'm here. How hard it is to provide food? We should have gone to Chick-fil-A. That's what I was thinking the whole time. But instead, we're sitting here now in the parking lot, unable to get our food. And so five minutes turns into 10 minutes. And 10 minutes turns into 20 minutes. And y'all, I checked. And it from from ordering my food to when the very kind person brought the food out, it was forty minutes at this fast food restaurant. And if I told you what this restaurant was, you probably would say, Yeah, I've had an experience like that as well. You should have gone to Chick-fil-A. See, I know, I know. And it's the last time that I've gone back to that place. And I'm not going to tell you where it is because you might work there or whatever. And I'm not about throwing organizations and businesses down, right? I hope that they get it together. I truly do. But I'm not giving them another chance until they figure it out. But so much so that I I actually wrote on the website, I gave them some feedback about my experience I just wanted to share with them. I just want you to know that it took 40 minutes for me to get my food from your establishment. And you know how long it took for them to send a reply back to me of my feedback? You know how long it took? I have no idea. I still haven't received any feedback. It was over four months ago, and I still haven't heard back from this fast food establishment. Y'all, your, your reputation is often tied to your hospitality. And Abraham knew this. Abraham hurried to get food for these strangers, had no idea who they were at the time. And this story is actually comes up again in Hebrews chapter 13. It says, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by so doing, some people, that would be Abraham, some people have shown hospitality to angels without even knowing it without even knowing it. What does that mean? That when you gather around your table with strangers, you are potentially entertaining angels unaware. You might not even know it, but you might be entertaining angels. That's what that scripture means. We should be gathering around tables with people that we know and people that we don't know. We should be showing great hospitality to people that we like and people that we don't like, people that grind us a little bit the wrong way. And tables are significant. I've been talking about this all day so far. But I wrote an acronym for us to remember why tables are significant. This is a gift from me to you. And you can write this down if you like. This is an acronym for T-A-B-L-E. Table. This is why tables are significant. And this is why Scripture encourages us to be gathering around tables. T, we come together at the table. This is modeled in Acts And I know that you're busy. I know that you're busy because you tell me that you're busy. Every time that I ask you, how are you doing? How has your week been? The first response that I get from like 95% of people is, man, I'm busy. I put the busy in business. I'm just busy all the time, right? I don't know how I can keep up. I've got kids and I've got work and I've got things to do and I'm driving around and I've got this side hustle. I'm just doing all these types of things. And I just wish that we could just take it as like assumed that everybody is busy. So that when I ask you, how are you? The first response is not busy because everybody is busy. And if everybody's busy, then we don't need to keep on telling everybody I'm busy. Let's just assume that everybody's busy and then really tell you how you're doing, right? But everybody is busy. The beautiful thing about gathering around a table is that it forces you not to be busy. The beautiful thing about gathering around a table encourages you to sit across from people and make eye contact with them and to slow down and to engage in conversation with them, to be talking with them. It's one of the beautiful things about tables is coming together. The second thing that happens is because you're talking, you gain access to people. You gain access to people. There are things that you have that I don't have. There are things that I have that you don't have. And when we sit down around a table together, we gain access into each other's lives. You might have wisdom that I don't have. You might have experiences that I don't have. I might have relational equity that you don't have. And when we sit down around a table together and we share experiences and we talk with each other, we gain access into each other's lives, which is beneficial because where you have access, you begin to find a sense of belonging belonging. This is an emotional need that we all have, is to find a sense of belonging. And finding a sense of belonging can be difficult in a large room with people. It can be difficult to find belonging in a place like this, and so that's why we have life groups. And if you're not in one, I want to encourage you to find a sense of belonging in a life group, because we all have a need to belong to something. We all have a need to belong to a family. And if you're not in one, then life groups are a great opportunity to find your sense of belonging there, right? And life groups are not designed to be your lifelong friends. The way that this church operates is that we create life groups, which are spaces for you to meet new people. And then what you do with those relationships is up to you you manage your relationships but the church will create a space for you to encounter new people for you to meet new people and then what you do with those relationships is on you however often you want to meet with those people however often you want to connect around a table those things are on you but we want to encourage you to find a sense of belonging to find a sense of family because where you have where you have a sense of belonging you are able to enter into types of conversations that you wouldn't otherwise enter into. Like if you're just walking along the street, you're not going to enter into the same type of conversation than when you're sitting around a table together. And this church is a big family that has the ability to access each other. We are a family with access to each other. So if someone says something that you disagree with or if someone does something that you disagree with, you don't need to take that outside of the family. You have access and ability to speak to those that are inside the family to deal with that thing. And it would be inappropriate to take the conversation outside of the family because we have access to each other because we are a family that gathers around tables together. So we gather together we have access to each other, we find a sense of belonging, and there we find love. First Peter 4, 8 says, above all, love each other, because love covers everything. And when we gather together, we find access, we find belonging, and we find love with those that we're in conversations with. And lastly, the table is significant because it speaks of eternity, eternity. Heaven is described in many different ways, but one of the ways that Jesus describes it is a big banquet, a big feast. This is heaven that He is talking about, and He says it's a big feast that He wants everybody to be at. And so if it's a big feast, if it's a big gathering, then it's a place where everything that is broken is made whole, where everything that is missing is found. Everything that is missing comes together for the purpose of glorifying God together in heaven. This is what heaven is. Heaven is a place of a big banquet. That's the way that Jesus describes the kingdom of heaven. It's gonna be one big, extravagant, celebratory meal together where we're all celebrating and worshiping God. That's how he describes it. And if you're a Bible nerd like my wife, then you know that... First mentions is significant in the Bible, right? The principle of first mentions is simply that if you're looking something up, it's significant the first time that it is mentioned in the Bible, okay? So if you're ever studying anything, this is just an additional thing. If you're ever studying anything in the Bible, first mention says, look up the very first time that this is mentioned in the Bible, and it has significance there. And the first time that we see that the table is mentioned is way back in the book of Exodus when God is giving Moses the instructions of how he wants him to build the tabernacle. I think it's like Exodus 25 or something like that. And so God is giving Moses the instructions of what the tabernacle is to look like and how big it's to be and how tall it's to be and what it's to be made out of and all of those types of things and what is to be placed on the inside of it. And one of the things that God says to Moses is that I want you to build a table about the size of this table right here. Build it out of wood. And this is to be the table of my presence And on top of that table, I don't want you to put a bottle of water. What I want you to put on this table is two stacks of bread. And this is the bread of the presence. And the bread of the presence is significant because what it communicates and what it communicated to the priests is that God always provides that God doesn't sometimes provide, that when you look at that table and you are reminded that there is bread there, I want you to think about the fact that even when you walk through the wilderness, I will be there providing for you. I have always provided for you and I will always provide for you. And what that reminder is for us is that when we gather around the table together, it's not about the food that is on the table. It's about the presence of God that is there At that table. That's the principle of first mentions when it comes to the table, is thinking about the fact that the table exists for God's presence to be there with us as we gather together around the table. And so it's my heart as the pastor here preaching today that your table would always be full of God's presence that your table would not just be a place where you consume food, where you get nourishment, but that you always encounter and experience the presence of the living God every time that you gather around your table, when you do it by yourself, when you gather with your family, when you gather with your friends, that you would always experience and encounter God's presence at your table together.